0: Hey Allie, remember when you begrudgingly stayed with your old EHR way too long because the thought of switching was overwhelming?
1: Uh, Yep, I do. I stayed with my old EHR for years, even though I really was not happy with it. That is, until Catherine convinced me to switch to Jane. Jane's import team. Yep, you heard that correctly. They have an entire
0: team dedicated to importing your clients, and they handle all of the nitty gritty details that have been holding you back from leaving your old EHR.
1: Imagine this, you're sitting down with your cup of coffee and just two clicks later, Jane has what they need to personally upload all of your clients so that the next time you log in, every single client, progress note, and more from your old outdated EHR is in there. And it's just as easy for clients when you switch. They click a link, verify all of the information that's already there is correct, and that's it.
0: The team at Jane knows that your time is valuable even after you make the switch and they import your clients for you. So they've created online intake forms to also help you spend less time on paperwork and more time with your clients and in your life.
1: To streamline your intake process for new clients, Jane makes it easy to automatically email intake forms at the time of booking. You can gather client data, consents, insurance information, and payment details all before your clients even walk through your door or log in to your telehealth platform.
0: Head over to jane.app and make sure to use the code BADTHERAPIST so Jane knows that we sent you when you switch and you'll get a 30-day grace period on your new account.
1: And that's code BADTHERAPIST at jane.app to ditch your outdated EHR and join us in our love for Jane. Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And
0: I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist?
1: Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask:
0: Am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern-day therapists.
1: This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs.
0: While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy,
1: we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. So Catherine, we knew that Rebecca was going to make a great guest after her first question to us was, can I make a sex joke? You know, and she doesn't stop with just one sex joke. Yes. So please join us today. We're going to hear from Rebecca where she starts her journey about ethically, authentically carving out a niche in the field of sex therapy. It is such a great story and conversation.
0: This is just a reminder that this is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself, because we, Katherine and Allie at Am I a Bad Therapist, do not endorse actual bad therapy.
1: All right. Well, this is episode number 74 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it.
0: Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you. And before we get in to what made you consider whether you were a bad therapist or not, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah.
2: So I am a sex therapist and I specialize in non-traditional relationships. So I work with kinky people, ethically non-monogamy, and I work a lot with the LGBTQIA plus population. And so, yeah, and I work in the Southern United States. So as you can imagine, it's a little, it's a little challenging right now.
1: Yes. Oh, we can only imagine. Well, we are excited to hear your story. Thank you for sharing all that, but why don't we dive into it? What made you question if you were a bad therapist? I make sex
2: jokes with my clients. Um, So I've had sessions where we literally spent the whole time talking about a butt plug. Um, I've uh, had conversations with people about self-harm versus knife play and kink. Mm -hmm. I talk about a lot of different things with clients, and sometimes I forget... I, I mask, I forget that I have to mask mm-hmm. with certain clients. So where a butt plug joke is okay with some, not with others. I'm also pretty upfront with my clients that I have ADHD and that I'm gay. And so again, not doing a lot of masking with my clients. Cause that's where they come to me. And I, it's funny. I had one client at one point who is like a, a straight person. And I finally asked him, I said, why are you coming to me? Like, I don't fit any of your, any of your stuff. And he looked at me and said, well, I assumed you'd be more liberal. And so based on your profile, so that's what I wanted. It's like, okay. So he was very proud of being my only straight white guy for a while. Um, but anyway, point is I don't mask with my clients because of my specialty and my niche until I had to. Mm. Um, so I had a client who I started working with way before the pandemic. So it's been a while and got kind of comfortable with her and she made a comment one day about the gays and how the gays are taking over and I was kind of like okay I literally had a mug at one point that says um no one knows I'm gay like I I don't hide it right like I'm living my best little queer life and so I was like okay like that was weird and so I challenged her on it and we moved forward and it was fine until I occasionally say things like, yeah, that's not my kink, but that works for people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? And so she was talking about being really stressed in her personal life and needing time to to take the edge off. And I said, oh, have you ever considered kink? Well, she didn't like that very much. Oh, boy. She didn't like that very much at all. So I was like, oh, okay. Where do we go from here? And that was really the question.
0: Well... No. She came to a sex therapist, knowing you are a yes. sex therapist, working mm-hmm. on stress and wanting a release. And the self-identified and chosen sex therapist asks, asks, have you considered kink? And she gets offended, which she has every right to have whatever reaction she does. Absolutely. What was it like for you as a therapist, knowing this is my niche, this is my, this is my bread and butter, I don't mask in therapy, I'm going to ask, uh, use the tools in my toolbox. What was that like? Were you caught off guard?
2: I was very caught off guard.
0: And I think – so
2: almost felt like I was pushed back into the closet a little bit. Mm. As a neurodivergent gay person, I've spent a lot of time trying to be out of the closet, working with my brain, self-acceptance, grace for myself, and blending into a world that I don't always fit into. And so it was actually kind of triggering for me because it was Mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, do I have to go back here? Mm -hmm. I've worked so hard to find my specialty, find my place in this profession, Mm -hmm. find my place in this world and all of a sudden it's not okay again. And so it just oh let me and I said, "Oh, well let me let me take a minute. There's a reason I asked that question, right? I when I'm a sex therapist and I do have a lot of clients that you talk about have a lot of stress in their personal life or professional life and want to release that stress and kink is a good way to do it. I understand that's not a good fit for you and that's okay." I said, "That's okay. Let's come up with some other solutions." So we were able to Pivot a bit. Um, but it was hard.
1: Mm, yeah. It was hard. And I still worked with her a year later. <laughs> so she kept oh, coming back. So interesting. I feel like I have so many questions of like almost like you had said with the other client. You asked, like, why are you coming to me? I feel like I have that question too with some clients, where I'm like, I'm so curious. Why 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 are you still coming back? Um so what was that like for you then? When she did come back, like mm-hmm. even that first session, and then continuing a le- year later, like did you find yourself wanting to mask? Did you mask? Oh, what? I was yeah. dreading it. Ah. Yeah, I was absolutely dreading it, and it got to a point where you know that
2: feeling, the Sunday scaries people call mm-hmm. them, right? When mm-hmm. you like mm-hmm. feel sick before work, like I felt that way before our sessions, and I even was like, do I do I need to send her somewhere else? But instead of doing that, I was able to take a step back and we had a very frank conversation about it. Mm. It was, I'm, I'm a queer person. I don't hide this, right? I do sex therapy. This is part of my practice. I realize that you don't fit into that scheme of my niche, but, but it can be challenging, right? And she really took that feedback well. And became very respectful of it. She still occasionally makes some like borderline offensive comments, but that's also, I feel like it happens, right? It's always for me with offensive questions is, is this coming from a place of curiosity or hurt? And for her, it's a lot of curiosity. Um, Okay.
0: Can I stop you there? Can you speak more to that? Because that comes up so often in, you know, uh, clinical work that I supervise, conversations on the therapist network being triggered in the therapy room with inappropriate or, or offensive comments from clients. Can you tell us how you sit with that in the moment and what goes through your head with the curiosity versus, uh, m- malice is what I would say. Um, talk us through your process yeah. if you don't mind.
2: So part of that really comes from when I take a deep breath, which sounds like everyone knows, Oh, you should take a deep breath, but no, really taking a deep breath and going, Oh, I was thinking something else. I, let me catch up. I actually recently had a moment where a client was talking about how hard it would be to have kids right now in this day and age. And I yes, like I have two small children. I was like, "Absolutely, it's hard." And then I found out she was talking about trans people. I thought maybe she was talking about like school shootings and the things going on in the world, but we're talking about like the 3% of population or whatever number it is of people. And I was just like, "Oh." So I took a step back and I said, "Oh, I thought we were talking about school shootings. I, I need to I need to recenter myself because I was a little confused by our conversation. And she said, "Well, that's bad too." I "I understand. I need I need a minute to make sure I'm following the conversation. And then there's that ethical question of we teach clients to reframe, but ethically, where do we reframe here Mm -hmm. when our when our personal views and their personal Mm -hmm. views very much don't align, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I was like, I, I think I'm a little confused as to where this went into. And so I really want to refocus back on you. What's bringing you here? Why are we having this conversation? Right. It wasn't because she had small young age children that were in school and she was stressed about it. It was just a random kind of tangent. So it was easier to bring it back and then taking the time to go one, am I the only option for this client? Mm right? When we're in small towns, when we're in more rural areas, uh-huh. there's not a lot of therapists, right? Like what is my duty here? Um, but I would tell people it's also okay to protect yourself. If it's going to trigger you, if it's a problem, if I have someone that walks into a therapy session and says all gay people should die, I'm going to take a step back and be like, whoa, whoa, I'm not a fit for you. But if I can maneuver around things, mm-hmm. I can, but it, at what cost? And that's always my question for myself. Is this a cost I can take?
0: I love that question. Um, and we were talking about boundaries earlier today, and that's also we have to look at our boundaries and um, when we are aggressed against, what what is this costing me? Absolutely, Rebecca, I love that question. So when I, I also have a I also have a question: How did you maintain compassion for clients who make these comments? Um.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I
0: hear it in your voice. I hear the
2: compassion. I do. I think it's because both of these women, it was their first time ever being in therapy. Mm. It was the first time they were releasing some of their story. Mm-hmm. Some, both of them are in an older generation, right? And so, never been to therapy. And I didn't want to be the one that they would never seek help again because of their interaction with me. Mm-hmm. As I work within my specialty population, I encounter so many clients who have such horrific experiences with therapists that it took a lot for them to come back. Mm -hmm. You're not going to kink shame me. You're not going to tell me that the reason that I'm ethically non-monogamous is because I have attachment wounds. You're not telling me these things. Of course, I'm not telling you those things. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be the therapist that these clients come to me to heal from. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not a good fit, I'm not a good fit, and that's okay. But I want you to heal too.
0: You're keeping whether you heal with me or someone else. Shame out of the therapy room.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not my job to tell them that their views are right or wrong. It's my job to help them start their healing journey. And sometimes they don't finish that healing journey with me, and that's
0: okay. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? are clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR, and of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Psst. Hey listeners, it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, ccccs.care. Allie's creative intervention library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care, and sign up for free today. Well, let's loop back to the show.
1: I'm curious how you got here in your career because you're in your niche now, right? Although sometimes, you know, other other clients trickle in who are a little bit outside of it. Um, What was that like for you getting to your niche? Because I feel like that can be tricky or if someone's just starting out, we've lost student listeners of like, we don't always start with our ideal client, right? In the beginning. No. How did you get here? Yeah, I did did not want to be a therapist. So,
2: I am a licensed clinical social worker. And so, I did a lot of like medical social work. I did hospice, like, I did a lot of different things. And then I was like, you know what? I'm kind of bored. Let's, let's, we're going to try therapy again. Right. I put a pause on therapy. We're going to do it again. And I had a client come to me who was in a polycule and living their best life with four or five adults in the home and really healthy environment. But she had anxiety just generalized anxiety. It wasn't about a relationship. So it was just an anxiety disorder. Um, I say that like, it's no big deal. Obviously an anxiety disorder is a big deal, but in relation to her lifestyle, it was not related. And I told her, I said, I know nothing about ethical non-monogamy. Um, and she said, I've been turned away by eight therapists because they said that I had attachment wounds. Um, they said that I was traumatizing my children. She said, I had one therapist call child services on me because of my lifestyle. And it just, it shocked me. Now, granted, this was seven years ago. Like, this was a while ago. But it shocked me. And I was like, what do you mean? And so I asked, of course, all my questions to make sure that everyone in the house was safe, the children were safe, there were no glaring concerns. And and I realized this is just a lack of education. Mm-hmm. This isn't something is wrong with this client for having this lifestyle, and so I said, well, you know what? I don't know much about ethical non-monogamy, but I will research the hell out of it. And so sure enough, I bought every book, right? I read all the academic journals I could find at the time. Um, and so I self-studied. And so that's kind of how I fell into it. So I, with ethical non-monogamy, there are a lot of clients who are also kinky, and that's a dynamic in their relationship. So understanding when you are dominant or submissive, what are the mental health implications of play, like kinky play, right? I can't tell you how many clients came to me with a fetish, a particular fetish, and just want to be told, is something wrong with me?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And so most of these clients have a very specific fetish. I see them once or twice because once I say, is everyone consenting? Right. The fact that you like dirty women's underwear, are you getting it ethically? Right. And if the answer is, well, yeah, of course. Okay. Live your best life right? Do what's best for you. Mm -hmm. And then I never see them again. And so I had so many of those clients in a short period of time. I was like, I love this. I love this. And that's where I found my passion for therapy. So because I found that passion in this population, I was able to do more in general, right? So I have my clients where we discuss butt plugs, but then I have my clients who say, Hey, I have anxiety and I, I need to sort through some of my family trauma. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like it's rejuvenated those conversations. I've literally helped clients plan threesomes just because it's a a communication Mm -hmm. piece, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do I communicate my wants and needs with my partner and potentially bringing in another person? Mm -hmm. How do we navigate that? And it's all like a puzzle piece and it's so fun. Um, Yeah. It's just really fun. So that's kind of how I fell into it. It was kind of by accident. Mm -hmm. And then I became obsessed with it and-
0: I wonder if you finding a niche that you didn't have to mask had something to do with your obsession really? or the fact that you That's loved exactly it. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I, so I tell
2: clients all the time, my goal in therapy is for us to recognize we're all weird as hell mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to own it. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's When celebrated. I started owning that I'm
2: just a weird person, my life opened up. My life satisfaction opened up, right? Because I'm not scared day to day to make a kink joke. Um it's just those moments with those clients that I go, Oh, not everyone is ready for my weirdness mm-hmm. and again it comes down to a cost mm-hmm. sometimes the cost is too high, sometimes it's not. it just depends on the day um Yeah,
0: I think what you're speaking to is something I tell my clients, and that is I am who I am in the therapy room, but I can turn up and down. I have like a a dial for my personality. I can't change who I am, but I can certainly try to turn pieces of it up and down to meet your needs if you let me know or if you you share your reactions and your responses with me. Um, And I think that's what you're talking about, staying authentic to yourself in the therapy room, but also modulating it so that it meets the needs of your clients. At different Absolutely. phases or levels, stages. And sometimes my
2: personality is still not going to be a good fit. Yeah. I tell yeah. clients in my first session, if I don't say shit three times this session, it wasn't a good session. <laughs> um, obviously, I'm being a little dramatic, but my clients also know that I'm a bit dramatic. Yeah. It is what it is. They come to me because we're a good fit. And if we're not a good fit, we will find someone else. I, um, My mentor, when I first graduated grad school, does a similar style to me. And so she and I will refer clients to each other. And she she and I cover one state together, and then I cover an extra state, and she covers a different state. So she had someone move from that state to my state and transferred. And the client looked at me and said, wow, you're like a bitchier version of her. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, thanks, I think. I don't know. And his response was, you're what I need in this part of my journey. She's mm-hmm. what I needed in that part of my journey. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be the right fit at every stage of your journey. And that's OK. When my toolbox is empty. Or if you need tools that I don't even have, let's figure that out. And so that's something I tell my clients all the time. If I'm if my personality is too much, if things are not a good fit, tell me and I'll help you find the right person. Yeah, because I'm not going to be world. it for everyone.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. Now, how have you navigated? I'm curious, because I feel like I practice a little differently as well. Like I also am an art therapist. I always say I'm a little more non-traditional, like I do things differently, but I feel like that attracts my ideal client. But I feel like I have also interacted with others in the field where either it was like peer consultation groups that weren't a good fit for me and like I realized that or you get feedback or you hear from other providers, or like that almost that shame of like our weirdness or our differences and things like that. And I feel like I can be confident with clients and things. I'm so I'm confident professionally too, but I feel like you can get that feedback or you can see things online like how have you navigated that and gotten to this point of just comfortability and authenticity with yourself as a therapist.
2: So I have a Asect supervisor. So I'm I do sex therapy. I'm a member of Asect and I'm working on that full sex therapy credential. Um, and so actually I reflect a lot with her. I always tell people reflect with supervision just because you're fully licensed doesn't mean you don't need a peer group or a supervisor. Um, And then I also, when I connect with therapists for either referrals or just friendship, um, I always make sure like, this is what I do. How do you feel about that? Like that? Yeah. Like, cause some people look at me and they're like, what? What? I made a comment one time in front of a medical provider. And I was like, well, the purpose of sex is an orgasm. And she just looked at me and she said, why are we having this conversation? (laughs) And I was like, because it's a part of women's health care, right? Mm -hmm. It's a part of women's health care. But when people make faces at me, I'm like, we're not a good fit and that's okay. I'm going to go over here. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's just really kind of weeding people out with inappropriate Mm -hmm. jokes and comments and seeing what happens. Yes. I like that. Right? If I yeah. say like, oh, that's not my kink and they get, and they turn their nose up at me. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. Well, I love how you can, cause I feel like, I don't know if I said it this episode or in the last one, like we do have a lot of um, student listeners, even just therapists in general. And I feel like your energy and again, your authenticity is just so wonderful and it's so strong. And I'm can just see this being shared with so many other clinicians to really empower them to just, like you said, embrace your weirdness, like do your thing. Like yes. you will be a fit for some people and you mm-hmm. won't for others. And that is okay. And that's kind of where my question was going because again, I'm just loving your energy and I could just, it really feels so inspiring. And I feel like we need more providers who can embrace their weirdness and just be authentic in that way. And again, but we're still supporting clients. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting because I feel like
2: In grad school, we talked about, like, you should never self-disclose. You should never self-disclose. And it's kind of like, I I understand. My question is usually, is this for me or for you? Mm -hmm. Am I sharing this for me or am I sharing this for you? And I had a client at one point who came to me because she wanted to work with a gay therapist. And so she was leaving her old therapist and said, hey, like, you know, I want to go work with a gay therapist. The therapist's response was, I'm gay not disclosing in that moment actually damaged their relationship mm-hmm. instead of helped it right mm-hmm. um, and so it's just so interesting when we're self disclosing when we're being authentically ourselves in the session um but because i do a sensitive area with kink and sex and relationships um there is there are times that i really have to take a step back and say wait a minute is this too authentic right? My clients aren't going to know what kind of kink that I participate or don't participate in, right? Not their business, right? Do they know that I have personal knowledge of kink? Yes. That's all they need to know, mm-hmm. right? And so figuring out that line for yourself of what's okay for people to know versus what's not okay for people to know. Is it okay people know I have ADHD? Absolutely. Do they need to know what prescription I'm on? Absolutely not, <laughs> right? And so I think that's a big thing too in your authentic self is, what's appropriate to be authentic with and what's not.
0: And thinking about that ahead of time, because when you're in the moment, that's not enough time to fully consider it. So thinking ahead of no. time, what pieces of my identity are authentic and true to me and also helpful or or useful to disclose in the therapy room and which ones are too vulnerable or not worth the risk of disclosing and identifying those as well? Absolutely absolutely.
2: And it can like it can be hard to figure that out, but that's why it's important to have a supervisor or a therapist friend or whoever you're checking in with, especially someone that's interested in similar types of therapy okay. as you. Right? Because some of the stuff I've disclosed, I have friends that do nothing with sex therapy, um queer people and they would be shocked by some of the things that I share. But then when I talk to my supervisor that I meet with, she's like, "Oh yeah, That makes total sense.
0: Yeah, I'm sure if I disclose some of the things you disclose, I would be unethical because I don't work in sex therapy. Case case, like, Why are you
2: telling me this? You mean you don't want your clients to know your favorite
0: position? No. Like. <laughs> or my kinks. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see in some fields it is appropriate, ethical. It's all such you know, you have to consider the situation in the client. And I love how you're able Absolutely. to ethically show up authentically and consider each it sounds like you consider each client individually and And, and, you know, use your boundaries for each client because you're considering their best interest, not only yours.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I don't, so something that I have to do with some of my clients is literally teach them how to masturbate. And so that's generally just a conversation about anatomy and how our pelvic floor is tied to our anxiety and our gut. And so having those general conversations, but there are clients that come to me just to talk about that versus if I just brought up masturbation with a client that's a problem tell me, tell me about masturbation, like no, 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 um, but for some clients, that's why they're here, so it's it's fun. It's fun if anyone wants to be a sex therapist, I highly encourage it.
1: yeah, it's definitely. like well, I feel like we've covered so many topics, so maybe I'll give you kind of like the open ended space, like we ask every guest, you know if there was a clinician or therapist listening who found themselves in a similar situation, found themselves agreeing, like what advice would you give them? And again, feel free to take that in any direction of the things we talked about today. Yeah. I think the
2: big thing is follow your niche,
1: mm. right? We talk
2: about following your passion, follow your bliss, follow that niche and, mm-hmm. and embrace it, right? It's easy to say, and well, embrace it. And it's okay to have a client that's not a fit for you and to say no, mm-hmm. I've had clients request therapy from me, send me an email, and I'll say, I don't think I'm a good fit for you. I don't think this is a good fit. However, here are some people that I know that are a good fit for you, right? Or that I think it'd be really good for you to explore with. And I always tell them, and if that doesn't work, let me know. I'd rather you get help than none at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So follow that niche, follow that bliss, because that's how you stay in the field, right? I would rather a therapist. Have a very, very special niche, but practice for a long time than not at all.
0: Becca, that is a beautiful way to summarize this. I think it is so important to find our niche and passion. And niche gets thrown around a lot, but you really... I think this episode really hit home the the power the power that comes when we find a niche that lights us up that brings us energy that um, rejuvenates us and the the power that can come from following that. So Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. We can't wait. Hopefully, you will be back with more bad therapist moments in the future. I have
2: a lot of bad therapist <laughs> moments, so we will we will sort through it. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks,
0: guys. And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week.
1: Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the bad therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague.
0: Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story.
1: Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect.
0: And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information.
1: And if you've liked this episode,
0: we've got plenty more. Yeah. Over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday.